This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Our Lord, we love you, and we have so much to be grateful for. And we are gathered here today as learners, as listeners, as disciples, as followers, and we pray that you would speak to us through your word today. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts and that you would uh, minister your truth and your grace to us. And we pray that you would elevate Jesus in our understanding and our thinking and our appreciation uh, for it is for his glory that we gather. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There are few things more discouraging than a closed door. Actually and metaphorically, I want to talk about both. I'm going to start actually. A few things more discouraging than a closed door. And if you've ever done door-to-door work of any sort, uh, you're well aware of this. Uh, When I was in high school, I was thinking about this this week. This is insane. When I was in high school, I had a door-to-door job. I was about 15, maybe 16, probably 15. I had a door-to-door job (laughs) selling swimming pools. This is not this is not a lie. So we had high school kids that were going door to door knocking out technically we were trying to generate leads so someone could follow up for paradise pools and uh and and you know sell the job. So we'd go knock on the door and ask them if they have a pool, if they like a pool, whatever. I just thought this is this I don't know who came up with this business plan, but when you're talking about making this second no no you know, I'm not dissing anyone here who's a high school student, but when you're talking about making the second largest financial purchase of your life, you got your house and then you got, a, I don't know, what does a pool cost? 30 grand, 40 grand, 50 grand. So your second largest purchase next to your house uh, and some 15-year-old kid is coming up to the door to, to sell you that. I mean, that's like the Girl Scouts kind of selling cookies and life insurance, you know, both just... <laughs> Would you like to buy some thin mints? No. How about a whole life policy? Well, now you got my attention. I mean... So we're going door to door. So what that means is I didn't work for them for that long, but it means for however many months I worked for them, my part-time job was watching doors shut in my face. This was my full-time. And no, I don't think I ever got anybody to say, well, I'm glad you came by, young man. We need a pool. You got any recommendations? So yeah, get one with water and a really cool diving board. So I don't know. So I just full-time saw doors shut in my face. And probably, I, I don't remember, but I probably quit just because, wow, this is not very good. And uh, that's all I did was watch doors. And that is discouraging just to have doors shut in your face. On the other hand, fast forward to last Friday night. Um, I answered the door multiple times on Friday night and it was not a closed door, but it was an open door. And it was an open door where little kids were excited to see me way more than normal. Uh, Excited to see me because they were all anticipating that I would take a handful of candy, which I did, out of the uh, basket I had, and drop it in their bag. And so they were so, uh, they were so excited. It was like an open door. It's possibility. I mean, I'm getting things I never get in large quantities, and I get to eat it at night. This is amazing candy as they're going door to door and trick-or-treating. It's, this, is, this is an amazing gift to me that I just show up and you give me stuff that I like. It was access to candy. It was joyful. Everybody's smiling. 
I don't know why, but we had like parents dressed up at our house, which if you did, no offense, but I did not get that. When a 35-year-old woman's showing up looking like Elsa, I'm, <laughs> let it go, ma'am. This is, this is, and no offense, if you did, I'm sure there's a good reason. But I actually gave candy to a lady like that. Yes, have a wonderful evening, ma'am. So the open door is wonderful. The closed door is, ah. But the open door of access, gift, possibility is wonderful. And I don't know if you knew this, but the open door is a metaphor we find throughout Scripture. It's got to be one of the most exciting metaphors in all of Scripture. For instance, here's Acts 14. When Paul comes back from the first missionary journey, this is what it says. They're coming back to Antioch. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. It's this celebration because God opened a door for Gentiles to meet Jesus and to be brought into the people of God. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, it's an open door in the past that he's recounting. Or 1 Corinthians 16, Paul writes this. Uh, For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. So here, the other one was, hey, let me tell you about this open door God gave us. And he gives all the stories as a missionary. Here, what he's doing is he's saying, I don't want to even move on. I love you guys. And was it Ephesus? I love you guys in Ephesus. Uh, no, he's staying in Ephesus. I love you guys. I want to come see you. But there's this open door that God has put in front of us. And it's present. And he's governing his actions. He's setting his calendar. He's making decisions based on this open door that's in front of him. And it's causing him to stay where he is. Today, the passage we're going to look at has to do with prayer for an open door in the future. Open door in the past. Open door in the present. This is an open door in the future. So read with me. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I mainly want to restrict my comments this morning to the first three verses, verses 2 through 4. And what we see in this is uh, we see Paul calling on the church to an action. Now, the the book of Colossians is, is all about the preeminence of Christ. And it's about how Christ rules over all. And then what he does is, having given a picture of the preeminence of Christ... He walks through how does this apply in our lives. I mean, the context, the most recent thing is he's talked about how does that apply, knowing that Christ is preeminent. What does that say to us about very on-the-ground practical things like marriage, how to relate in marriage, uh, parenting, how to relate uh, with your children, work. He talks about not working just to be a man pleaser, a people pleaser, but with uh, working under the Lord. So he takes the preeminence of Christ, he roots it, on the ground, in real life living. And then what he does in this section is he, he takes the Colossians and he calls them to look outward. 
not just the preeminence of Christ and how it applies to us in our lives, but also what about those who have yet to meet Christ? And that's why in verse 5 he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. So he's starting to talk about outsiders here. And uh, part of the theme is reaching them. And what he does is he calls the church to pray. Continue, verse 2, steadfastly in prayer. It's this appeal to, in an ongoing way, in a constant, regular way, pray. Keep regular, keep steadfastly in prayer. And, and this is so important because what prayer is at a fundamental level is prayer is a recognition that I'm not God, that I'm talking to God, I need God, but I'm not God. Prayer is all about dependence. It's all about our need for the Lord. So if we stay steadfast in prayer, it's a reminder that we steadfastly need him. And, and in addition to that, we are to be steadfast in prayer, to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So we're to, a pray, we're to pray as those who are watchful, who are alert. The kind of prayer he's talking about here is not just running through a list of things that we want God to do for us, but it's rather being aware. What's going on around us? Where is God at work in my life? What area of my life does the Lord have his finger on? What is God doing in my relationships? What is God doing in my family? What is the Lord doing in my workplace or uh, in my neighborhood? Where do I see the Lord at work? So I'm praying. We're called to pray alert and aware, not just trying to bring our plan to the Lord for a sign-off, but rather getting on his agenda, on his plan, what he's doing. So we pray continually. We're to do that, being watchful and alert for needs around us, for opportunities around us, this sort of thing. And then we are to pray thankfully steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Here's the reality. If we pray watchful, that means praying with our eyes open. If we're, uh, not literally, but if we're looking around, we're aware of what the needs are around us. We pray watchfully open, then we will be thankful. If we're watchful, we'll be thankful. And here's the reason, because we will see God moving in many ways. God is active all around us. I don't have to know your situation today to know that you may indeed have some great difficulty and sufferings and hurt in your life even today, perhaps. But, but I know that God is working in some way uh, in your life because he's always at work all around us. So if we are looking for how is God caring for me? How is God providing for me? How is God sustaining me? How is God working in those around me that I love and care about? If we're attuned to that, alert, we will be thankful. So that's what he talks about. I want you to pray, do it continually, regularly, open daily conversation with God, pouring out your heart to the Lord, crying out to the Lord, leaning on the Lord, because you're not God, he is, and you're in need. So constantly doing this in prayer, watchful for where God is at work, doing it with thanksgiving. And then he says, here comes the open door part, then he says, at the same time, pray for us. Paul is asking, and the us is at least him and Timothy, because the letter's from him and Timothy. Uh, so pray also for us, he says, that, here's what he asks, God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So he's in prison, and he's asking God to open a door. Why? Because God is the one that opens doors for outreach, for mission. God is the one that creates opportunity for mission. Paul is not confident in his strategy. Uh, he's in prison. 
He's not confident in his preaching. As a matter of fact, he says, would you pray that, verse 4, that I make it clear? And Paul's actually saying, he's saying, I need help to be clear in talking to people about Jesus. Man, if Paul prayed that, there's a good chance I need to pray that. You need to pray that. If Paul needs clarity in explaining Jesus to people, how much more we? But he's asking that, that I might be clear. So he's not confident in his preaching. He's not confident in his strategy. He's confident in God because God opens doors. God is the one who opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. No one would have ever believed that. But what God did through Peter was amazing. God opened the door. He said, I'm staying put where I am in 1 Corinthians because God's opened a door. I'd love to come to you, Corinthians, but God has done this thing. We pray for open doors because, here's the very simple point, because God is the one who opens doors. And uh, it's not for us to manipulate them open. It's not for us to tear them down, to bring the barrier thing, you know, kind of whatever that thing is, the police use, and knock the door open. It's for us to be aware, alert, in prayer, loving, serving, and looking for open doors to walk through. Now, if God opens the door, and we're confident that God opens the door, then we, those who are asking him to do that, and asking him to do that through others, certainly as one who teaches God's word, I would ask for your prayers for all the pastors in the church and anyone who teaches God's word that God would help us, that would open doors for us. But we all want to pray for open doors. I mean, what would it be like for an entire church to get this and live this where everyone in a fellowship was steadfastly in prayer, watching and alert, thankful, and at least among all the other things we pray for, praying for open doors the word to go through. There'd be an awareness, an alertness. I've been praying this way. Um, obviously, this week, all week long, I was praying this way because it was. I was trying to. I try to live the sermon before I tell you about it to some degree. Don't always do that well, but but I was praying this all week. And I just had a, this week. I had a conversation. I met someone, and literally within three or four sentences of talking, this person just began to tell me uh, where they were. Uh, actually with the Lord, and just were not in a good place. And this isn't someone in the church. This is someone I just met out in, I met at a coffee shop. And just boom, here's, here's where I am. I was like, whoa, talk about an open door. I was not, I mean, that was like I was standing here kind of, uh, and then bam, let, don't let the door hit you. It's opening up so fast. So if everyone, if we were all living this way, can you imagine how many literally hundreds of doors would be open to us in a week? Now, an open door doesn't just mean, for us mostly, an open door is a very natural thing. I gave you an unusual situation. Uh, hi, my name is Craig. Bye, here's my heart. Okay, that's unusual that somebody's going to do that. That's not typical. Mostly, we look for open doors as we just have normal interaction, as we do simple things like listen to people, talk, to pe- meet, and listen. Oftentimes, we just talk about ourselves. We don't, we don't listen. We're not aware. Part of looking for open doors is, where can I get to know and show interest? My, my wife's the best person I've met, period, on the planet. I don't, even, I don't even see anybody even close. She's like so far ahead. There's no one even close that I've met at, at, this, at this kind of a heart. Just talking to people and asking them, getting to know them, drawing them out, taking an interest in them. If we just listen and ask, if we just volunteer to serve, If we just act like a friend, invite someone into our lives, show an interest, very basic things. Those are often the ways that doors open. Now, sometimes it's radical. You meet someone, hi, what must I do to be saved? But that's that's not going to happen very much. Usually it's these natural 
tendencies of life where we are serving, loving, representing Christ, aware, thankful, going through our lives, seeking to be intentional to love and serve and care for others that we find doors open up. And so there could be hundreds of doors in a week in a church. I mean, I don't know how many doors this could represent of people who are in our lives already that we have some relationship with or someone that we will meet this week where a door could be opened. And that's what Paul is praying. He's in prison. So I don't have freedom. It's going to have to be creative. Kind of like the door is going to have to walk to me. And I'm going to have to get, but the Lord can do that. And so that's what he's saying. Lord, pray, pray that doors will open. And I love this. Um, he, he doesn't even say it's a door for me. In the first place, he says, open a door for the word that I may declare the mystery of Christ. So it's like the door opens up and a Bible walks through. That's what he wants. He wants the word of God. He wants to be able to speak the word of God and give the mystery of Christ, how we know Christ. He wants to share the good news about Jesus. And so he's saying, pray that a door will open so the good news, the word of God can walk through that door because the power to arrest a heart, to open a heart, to turn the lights on, to help us to go from dead to alive is the word of God. And so we're looking, we're looking for opportunity, praying for opportunity where that can happen. We can share something of the truth of God, or we can bring them to a place, bring someone to a place like this where they can hear the gospel, that sort of a thing. So that's what he is praying for. Now, as Pete alluded to earlier, I'm going to talk a little bit about the same thing uh, he did in, his, uh, in sharing just a few minutes ago. And that is that while we have doors all over our lives that we want to be constantly praying, we want to be alert, we want to be thankful, um, and then we're praying for open doors, that while we have numbers of open doors, I believe as a church family, we've got one huge open door. I think, I think we're standing on the threshold of a big door that's not been closed in our face. It, it's been opened to us, an open door, a giant door for uh, an opportunity for the word to walk through, for the gospel to go through. Now, we carry that gospel with us. We represent that gospel. We speak that gospel. We live in the good of that gospel, applying it to our lives. But it's, it's, the, it's a door for the gospel to get out. It's a door for people to hear good news about Jesus that is in front of us. And it has to do with what Pete was sharing earlier about our opportunity to build in Frisco Square. Excuse me, I'm kind of dry today, which... Um, locates us really in the, in, the heart of our, in the heart of our city. So what I want to do uh, is talk a little bit about this open door because I, I know there's a number of folks, some of what I'm going to say, you're going to say, yeah, some of you may think, oh, I've heard that before, but this is important to hear because uh, like every family, we have a story. We have a story of God's faithfulness. I have a story of God's faithfulness to me personally. My wife and I do, our kids do. You do, if you're a Christian. You've got a personal story. If you're married as a couple, you've got a story together that your story intersected at some point and joined together. Um, and we as a church family, we have a story. And it's important to recount that even for the umpteenth time because it's important to recount the goodness of God. The goodness of God is realized when we speak it and hear it and remember him and what he has done. And also, 
some of us here have, don't really know the story of this church. Maybe you're just checking this church out. You should know the story of the church. When you join a church, you should know something about their story. And so we've had a story that's w- winded back and forth. We've had our good times. We've had our challenging times, really hard times. We've had good and bad and um, just like life and, and living in a fallen world and being fallen people, uh, we've had good and bad. But the, the truth is that God has always been with us and always been good to us. And one reason I enjoy telling this and thinking about this story is because it is all about God's initiative to us. In other words, we as a church didn't make a plan and work it out and hold it up and say, bless this, Lord. Here, bless what we want to do. Here's our intention. Now, God, could you get behind that? That's sometimes how we pray. Lord, here's what I want to do. And we think prayer is getting God over to our side. But that's really not what prayer is. You ever been in like a, a small boat and you're coming up to, you know, to dock and you take a rope and you throw it maybe and, and, uh, and tie it around. And when you pull the rope, have you ever noticed that the earth, the land doesn't come out to you on the boat? Uh, you don't pull and all of a sudden, the shore or the or the, you know uh, where, where you're where you're bringing your boat that it doesn't like the dock doesn't pull out to you and come meet you. You pull on the rope and you get pulled into shore. Your boat comes tight up against the dock and you can you can tie it. And that's kind of how prayer is. When we're praying, we're listening to the Lord, we're responding to the Lord, and we're getting on. We're getting pulled to Him. We're getting pulled to his agenda. And so when we think about our building plan, that's very much how it feels. Like God came with an agenda, threw us a rope, we grabbed onto the rope, and he pulled us to him. We didn't say, here's our five-year plan, Lord. Doesn't it look good? We've even got some slides to go with it. And can you get on board with this, Lord? That is absolutely just the opposite. We have walked through door after door after door after door. There was, I feel like the history of our church and in this project in particular, you have to be really old to appreciate this. But if you're really old, you'll know there used to be a TV show. Actually, it's older than me. I just saw the reruns uh, called Get Smart. And at the beginning of Get Smart, all the old people are chuckling and all the young people are going, what? Um, all young people are Googling after church, after church. So, but it's this, we're in the beginning. He's a secret agent's comedy show. And in the beginning, he just walks through a series of doors. They're all different. He just walks through one door after another, after another, after another. Then he gets in a phone booth. You don't even know what that is, young people. And he disappears. He falls down. But that's how our church life has been. Okay, there's a door. Oh, there's a door. Oh, there's a door. That's what it has felt like. And uh, that's kind of how this has been as well. Shortly after we started this church, which we just celebrated nine years. Thanks. We had a good turnout. Thanks for coming to the picnic last week. It was wonderful uh, to be together. And so thanks for coming out. But we just celebrated nine years. And nine years ago, we had a number of families that moved here to help begin a church. We drew in some folks that were local uh, as well. And we, we began a church in this area in Frisco nine years ago. And very soon after starting the church, we put together what we call the building team. And this was made up of some men in the congregation who had some business savvy, some development experience, um, some financial uh, experienced several guys that were very, very helpful. Uh, and they said, we need to start looking for land. And so we were thinking, wow, we're just trying to get everything unloaded on Sunday morning and loaded back up from an elementary school. But these guys had foresight and wisdom, uh, you know, uh, tremendously. And so they just said, let's start looking. And so we pulled together. And at one of the very first meetings, one of the guys on that team asked me, he's like, well, we need a target. And so he asked me, where do you think the church should be? I mean, like, where should the building be? Where do you want it to be? 
And I mean, I never really even thought too much about that. Obviously, that's why we had a team. And it was <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, I hadn't given that a whole lot of thought. I thought, well, like in Frisco. But he was like, no, not in where specifically do you think? And I just sort of randomly threw out Maine and the tollway. And if I remember right, I think he said, yeah, you and everybody else or something like that laughing. I think it was like, well, okay, well, let's go to your second choice because that one's pretty much uh, uh, taken. Uh, that's not going to happen. But as you know, the story goes as it goes on, that that's actually where we did end up. And what I love about this is that is now called Center City. I don't know if you know, but Frisco is dividing into, or not dividing, but uh, uh, de- uh, demarcating three um, districts. So, so Frisco has the Stonebriar District, which is south around the mall, the Stonebriar District. It has the Center City District, which we're at the bullseye of. That's Maine and the Tollway and all that's happening there, and it spreads out. And then there's a yet, as I understand, unnamed district that will be up north, uh, probably towards 380. So there's three districts, and the Lord placed us in the Center District, kind of the bullseye district of the city. That represents a tremendous open door. And the way we got that, as Pete mentioned earlier, was that there was a man in the church. Uh, we looked at different land. We got prices. We stood on land. We had no money, um, but we just went and looked at things, and we're finding out what things are costing, and we're thinking, well, we could be here. We could afford that. We can't. Yeah, well, we didn't have any money, so we couldn't afford anything. But we thought, well, we can pick a spot, and then maybe the Lord will provide. We'll ask the church, to, you know, if folks want to give towards this. Um, but we had a man in our church that, that knew an elder at another church uh, in the Metroplex, and this other elder said, look, we have donated land that we own that's ours in Frisco Square that we're not going to use. And I want to let you know that. So that man told our building team, and our building team contacted uh, a donor. And uh, we contacted, and I went with a man on our building team. We went and met the donor, and um, that's where we first found out. We didn't know exactly even where the land was. We knew it was in Frisco Square. That's all we knew. And so we met with him. This, was, this would have been five years plus ago, maybe six years, for sure five years and uh, we met with him in Frisco, and he showed us he had a whole plat of Frisco Square, what was going to be developed and what was going to happen there, and it, more than we'd ever seen because it didn't look anything like it looks right now. And uh, when he opened it up, he showed us, here's a spot for a church. I think it was located future site of a church or something like that. And then right on it was Grace Street and Church Street. And we just that was a, a significant moment, hair on the back of our neck, because we didn't know. He didn't know us. We didn't know him. But we told him that is our uh, that's the name of our church. It's really just between you and God at this point. Do you want to disappoint the Lord or just... No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that to him. You could keep it or give it to someone else named whatever, but uh, God's already spoken. So I didn't say that. I was just, we were just stunned by this. And now, as Tim pointed out in our family meeting, if you Google after the sermon, if you Google Frisco Square, it'll give you a map. You pull up the map, you will see those streets on there now because they are paved. So the past number of years, we've just been building and praying towards this. And then we started last fall. We broke ground and we put in those roads uh, and they were finished in the spring. So we've encouraged you to go over there, walk the roads, drive the roads, pray, walk the land, just be over there uh, praying at this time. So we had, uh, we had, in that day, when we received that gift, we realized we really had no business receiving a gift like that. We were a small church. We're still a relatively small church, but we were a small church in a school setting up and taking down chairs, and we were being invited to come and plant there in the center of our city. 
I've often described that. It felt like a little kid putting on dad's jacket. It was just felt like a vision that enveloped and covered us and was way too big for us. And so it feels way too big for us right now. Uh, so all along, that's a good feeling. We always want to have a vision for our life, for our marriage, for our family, for our job, for our outreach, for our community group, for our church, whatever you're involved in. We always want to have a vision that's way bigger than us. Not so we live with perpetual disappointment, but so that we live with perpetual dependence on God. We want to be able to say, if, if God doesn't do this, it won't happen. That's, what, that's the kind of life we want to live. And so that's dependence. So that's what happened here is that we were, uh, have been dependent on the Lord. And so the roads came in. It still feels like a huge jacket over us, but maybe we've, uh, maybe, maybe we've grown a little bit. We've been able, the Lord's used us and has used your giving and has provided that for us. So just a wonderful, wonderful gift from the Lord. That's the history of the, of the land. Now, when we think about that, I think there's a bigger gift than the land. And I think the biggest gift, besides Jesus, obviously, but the biggest gift for us is the gift of an open door. I mean, it's a gift of opportunity. The biggest gifts you get in your life are the gifts of opportunity. They're the, the situations that emerge in your life where it's like, wow, look what could happen. It's the person you meet. Wow, what, what, if, what if that's the, what if we married so, oh, that's a tremendous open door. It's the job that you land that, wow, that is something I've wanted to do that God's given me the gifts and the talents for. And it's just, it's, it has so much potential for me to make a difference and to make a contribution. And you look, that's just an open door. It just brings with it fresh air and potential for the Lord to work and, and opportunity access. An open door is access. I said Friday night, it was access into my candy jar for those kids. It was, it's, it's access. It's gift. It's, I can see before I couldn't see anything but this. It opened up and now I've got a, I can see a distance. I can see a future. I can see a vision. And so for us, that's the greatest gift. I'm, I'm grateful for dirt. I'm grateful for now roads around the dirt. Wonderful. But it, that's not the greatest gift. It's what it represents in terms of an open door, an, an, an open door of opportunity, an opportunity for mission. That's one thing. It, it gives us an opportunity to connect with our city in a way that we can't connect. I've joked. This is, I know I've said this before, but I've joked. I want to keep you updated on this. But I, for the first three years that we're in this building, I think I only heard one person say, I drove by this building. How'd you find out about Grace Church? I drove by the building. I think I heard that once in the first three or four years we were in here. People fill out a card when they visit the church. How'd you hear about it? I think it was only one. There was one in the last calendar year. So I want to keep you updated. I think we're up to two now. People that said, I drove by the building. That's why I came. So I'll try to be faithful. And next year, maybe it'll be four. We were hoping to double in the next year. Four people that visited because they drove by. That just won't be, a, that won't be a situation there because that is the center city, the place where the city gathers. And uh, I don't know if they want to come back, but uh, I, I, people will come because that's just a destination. It's about to be a holiday destination. The lights are about to go on. So Christmas or Fourth of July, or there's always holiday things. There's festivals, whether it's art or storytelling, and um, there's restaurants, people living there. There's so much happening in a condensed, tight area and more building. If you've not been over there, you should go over there. There is new stuff coming up, uh, huge living quarters, uh, apartments that are coming up right now that are being built, more businesses, that kind of thing. So it's a densely populated area with a lot going on that hosts all kinds of activities. So I think it's self-evident that it just gives opportunity, uh, access to more people with the gospel. Secondly, I think it provides an opportunity for maturing.
maturing, not just for mission, but for maturing. We always want to mature, right? As an individual, you want to mature in the Lord, follower of Jesus. I want to be more like him. And churches mature as well. We corporately mature. Now, we may all be maturing in different things, but here's an area that I think the Lord is calling us to mature in and to have the heart of the Lord. Sometimes uh, a big event in your life uh, calls you to a preparation. Have you ever had an event like that? If you're married and you're a dude, you've had that event. You asked her, she said yes, it went on the calendar, and then you panicked, like all get out. Whoa, now what do I do? Uh, because doesn't mean that date on the calendar that all of a sudden you walk up there to that date and you're ready. But when you ask and she says yes, it's like game on. You start getting ready. You start thinking about marriage in a different way. You start thinking about, whoa, what would it be? Where do I need to get my life in line? What about my finances? What about where are we going to live? How am I going to provide? What about uh, my, my leadership or my care or my communication or how to solve conflict or what about, what about, what about? And all of a sudden you get in a process of doing everything you can to be who God wants you to be so that you can fulfill that privilege and responsibility for caring for that gal, whoever she is that you're marrying. <clears throat> so you prepare, but you never feel ultimately ready, but you start getting ready. And the same is true if you have a child. That when, when you say, we're going to have a child, and you find that out, wow, we're pregnant. I've never met any, I can't speak for the ladies, but I never met a guy who said, oh yeah, I'm totally ready for that. Guy, guy's like, man, I had no idea. I've never changed a diaper in my life. I have no idea. What do you do? So you start learning and you start reading books and you start asking people and you start figuring it. But so you're not going to be just like you move in there. I mean, the baby's born all of a sudden instantly you just become a dad, but you start, you do, but you're not ready. You start preparing for it. And I I feel like that is what this building is for us. It's not like we're going to move over there and be something different. We don't change ultimately. Because of a building, we change because of Christ, and we change because of the Great Commission. But I think the Lord is calling us to become the kind of people that would be broader in our outreach, broader in our canary, broader in our bridges that we could make to different kinds of people in our community. Um, It means a stretching, a stretching to be like Jesus who loved all kinds of people who was comfortable around all kinds of people. And here's the kicker. All kinds of people except the highly religious were comfortable around him. Uh, Legalists weren't comfortable around him, the Pharisees. But people in need were. Think about these verses. When I read these verses I'm about to read to you, I feel like I need to mature and grow up, that the Lord's got something for me. Maybe you will agree. I think the Lord's got something for us. Luke 7, Son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Jesus is saying, here's what you say of me. You say I'm worldly. You say I'm a drunk, that I overeat, and that I'm, in essence, unclean because of some of who my friends are, tax collectors, despised people. But but I'm telling you that wisdom is justified by her children. You're going to see those people come into the kingdom. And the wisdom of Jesus is reaching out and loving them. The wisdom is they come into the kingdom. Wisdom will be justified by its fruit. Um, Another one, Matthew 9, Jesus reclined at table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He says to the Pharisees, in essence, you're worried that, that, that I have a heart, a love, a compassion for these folks. Let me, let me tell you the fundamental truth of religion, he says. God desires mercy and not sacrifice. It's not about religious duty and activity. It's about a heart that is broken for the things that break the heart of the Lord. Many things break the heart of the Lord, but one thing is lost people and to give mercy to them. Rob preached just two weeks ago, uh, Matthew 9. When he saw the crowds, what did he do? He had compassion for them. They were harassed. They were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly for the Lord of the the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Here's what Jesus said. I came for sick people and not well people. I came uh, for sinners. I came to reach lost, hurting rebels. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. The religious, and by religious, I don't mean that in a good way, um, those who were self-righteous, let's call it that way, the Pharisees, the self-righteous called him a drunken and a tax collector. They called him, and he's acting in an unclean manner. He's associating with people that shouldn't be associated with if he really knew the Father he says he represents. And Jesus says, that's the exact proof that I'm from the Father. God loved the world and sent his Son he welcomed them, loved them, reached out to people who were hurting and, and called them, called to offer the gift of himself and called them to repentance, to come to the Father and to believe in him, to bring the gospel to all kinds of people, not just those who might be like many of us, but those who would be different in their worldview, in their morality, but who need Jesus. People who, if you're a Christian, that you would be just like if God had not rescued you and given you a heart for him. We'd all be a God-haters. We'd all be opposed. We'd all be in rebellion. We'd all be in darkness. We've all woken up this morning and not come to church. We'd just be nursing uh, the remnants of what happened last night, trying to, you know, drown our sorrows or whatever it could be. God is calling us to prepare our hearts, not because a building lies in our future, but because Jesus gave a great commission, and Jesus has a heart for the lost. And that means a stretching for me. That means an opening of my heart. That means making room in my heart, my life, my schedule. It means making room. That means praying for open doors. That means taking time to care and take an interest and to view people as those who are harassed and helpless. The Lord had compassion. I want the Lord's compassion in my heart for those who don't know him. I think the metaphor of moving from the warehouse district to moving from the city square is an apt metaphor for what the Lord wants to do in us as a people. It's not about a building. It's about changing a people, changing a heart, an attitude, a culture. It's about changing my heart. And so what it means is that moving from warehouse district to a broader environment, the city square, it means that I want my heart that way, and I want our church that way. And many of you say, well, that, you are that way. Great. You're amening, high-fiving. Great. Some of us aren't. And so let's pray that the Lord would help us to be people who aren't separated from the world, but separated to God to be a light in the world.
Separated to him so that we shine. Separated to him so that we're salt. Separated to him so that we're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We're in it all. We're there right in the middle of it all. We're not tucked away where no one would see. We're where everyone would see. And I'm talking about the people and not the building. Where everyone would see and would see Jesus. Last thing is that it's an open door for uh, It's an open door for mission. It's an open door for maturity. It's an open door for generations. And that's, uh, as Pete Wells said earlier, I I, I like the exhortation, love the exhortation he gave about seeing beyond ourselves to future generations. I believe those who are uh, wage earners in this church, those who have an income, I believe we have a privilege um, and a calling to provide a place provide a structure for the gospel to be heard. The gospel baton isn't passed through a building. It's passed from one generation to another, faithfully teaching the next generation and modeling for the next generation. And as we said, praying for the next generation. That's how the baton is passed. But we want to have an environment where for generations, where the next generation can show up and the building's been paid for by somebody else. And while we want to use money to both cover a building and to fund mission, it'd be great to have a day when people come and there's nothing to pay for. It's been paid for by them in that generation, which hopefully won't be a full generation, a few years, actually. But where the next group will come in and stand in and, and be able to say, now, what's God calling this generation to do from this location to reach this city, this region, this world? So what a joy and a privilege to bear that, for us to bear that, to invest in that, so that someone else, people we will never see, we will never know, And our children, the next generation, will be able to walk out ministry from there. So God is opening doors so that we step step through them in mission, maturity for maturity for generations. So here's how I want to close. If the band wants to join me, I know you guys thought you were coming a few minutes earlier, but I took a little liberty there. Um, So you guys come on up. We're going to close with communion. And here's why we want to close with communion. We have, I think we've been understated historically in, the, in our building situation. I think we've been way understated. It's like the best kept secret in the church that we even had a building fund for years. Um, I think we've been understated. I don't think we've been hype about everything. Um, but it always can slip in and take focus. And I wanted us to close with this, to say, no matter what happens in the next, next week as we give, no matter how much comes in, no matter when we sell this building, that's what we're waiting on as a buyer for this building to be able to move and uh, to be able to begin construction. Um, but what, wherever we are in that, we want our boast to be the Lord. I mean, if we go from here to back to a living room, meeting out in a park, our boast is the Lord. If we go to AT&T Stadium where the Cowboys play, our boast is the Lord. I, I don't care if we're in a living room or if we're in the Cowboys Stadium. Our boast is the Lord. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.